Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Hi, my name is Stan P. from Alaska. Um, my story starts up in Alaska, where I was born and raised. Um, I thought, you know, for 18 years, I grew up in the same home, same family, same house and uh, had a sister. Um, what I didn't know until I was about the age of 18 was that I actually had two other additional siblings, um, Jason and Eric. And uh, both Jason and Eric died shortly after childbirth. One was older than me, one was younger than me. I always pride myself on being the oldest in the family and uh, some kind of status symbol I couldn't help, but uh, it was kind of humbling to learn that later on in life. But uh, it, one, the topic of my, my speech today is gonna be about on being a lone wolf. And uh, Bill W. alludes to that in page three of the big book about being a lone wolf. And uh, I really did not know anything about recovery until uh, I was about, uh, was about three and a half years ago, well, almost four years ago. And uh, I didn't know how much of a lone wolf I was. Um, and my story kind of just kind of alludes to that. So I'm gonna kind of go through a little bit of my life. So um, you know, grew up in Anchorage, Alaska. Um, my earliest memory, which I didn't know until a few years ago, uh, when I was three years old, uh, was my parents. Um, uh, they were being intimate, and it somehow it, it scared me. And uh, I went to isolation, got lonely, got scared. Uh, it affected me, but I didn't know until much older. My, my, down my, my uh, as I got older. So my first exposure uh, to pornography was when I was eight years old, and somehow I knew what it was. Um, I found one of my dad's magazines in the bathroom, and I knew what it was. And I don't know when like how I knew, but I knew what it was. And then um, uh, I didn't start to, you know, act out myself until I was about 11 years old. That was by myself too. I didn't, nobody showed me how to do it. Nobody taught me how to do it. I just kind of knew, kind of learned it. I was like, hmm, this is kind of an interesting thing. And um, it became just a, a coping mechanism. I didn't know that, you know, that it was called a coping mechanism. I just thought it was like a normal thing. You needed to do it. And it just kind of became a thing that normal thing we did. Um, around the same time, when I, was, well, when I was eight, I had the same best friend. Um, his name was Keith, and uh, I had the same best friend from second grade uh, all the way up until my freshman year of college. Um, that relationship was dysfunctional. Um, he was an only child, and we competed against each other. So a lot of my story also compared with competing and comparing against people. And, um, you know, we would compete against each other in sports, uh, board games, uh, video games, whatever it was, we always competed against each other. So. Um, and I always pride myself in beating him. It was just something I would like to do, but uh, it was very dysfunctional. So um, that's also been a part of my story of growing up. And uh, one other big thing when I was 11 years old, um, I remember playing with my sister and we were downstairs just goofing off. And I went and I pushed her, pushed her up against the wall and I hurt her, hurt her really bad. And she started crying. And I heard the footsteps, thump, 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 thump. Here comes dad downstairs. And uh, his way of dispensing punishment was either the belt or the, or the ping pong paddle. And uh, I remember after that specific punishment, I said, no more. That's not happening again. I'm not going to be hurt like that again. And so I 
What I learned later on was that I built a wall. I built a wall of apathy and loneliness and protected myself from my sister and from my dad. Um, my mom, I guess, was the, the one I would go to. I, I recognized, you know, when I was like 12 years old, um, I, I, I went to my mom and my mom was doing these workout videos, <laughs> uh, watching this, this, this stuff. And I, I would do stuff with my mom and, and, and hang out with her and do these exercises and eat carrots and celery and, and, and eat healthy foods and trying to, you know, learn how to get better and stuff like that. So my mom was the one I would kind of go to. Um, so, uh, and one thing I didn't really know about my mom was that my mom had tried to get me to go to church, to go to Sunday school. And this was around nine years old and I rebelled. I did not want to go. I did not like the, 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 the scenery. I didn't like the smell. I didn't like the people. I didn't like the books. I didn't like anything about it. And, um, what I rebelled for was I said, you know what? I would rather be here on Sunday. I'd rather be with my dad betting on football. And that's what I did. Saturday and Sunday, I had a pink sheet, and it was a betting sheet, gambling sheet. So I bet on college football and pro football from age nine on up. And that's where I learned a lot. You know, living in Alaska, I was pretty isolated. We didn't travel out of state much. That's where I learned about most colleges, most places around the country was about the different colleges. You know, there's Penn State, here's Ohio State. You know, here's you know Utah, whatever the, the thing. That's why I learned about uh, sports because my dad was a big sports guy. He was from Michigan. And uh, so that's where I, you know, got a lot of my love for sports was just watching sports with my dad. You know, it was all Michigan, you know, it was the Detroit Pistons, it was the Detroit Tigers, um, Detroit Lions, and um, even the Detroit Red Wings. What I didn't recognize is that a few years, my dad was an alcoholic. And um, what I didn't recognize is like into my teenage years, I started rebelling against him. And I started subconsciously and I thought it was conscious effort, but uh, picking sports teams that were against his teams. I started liking those teams that were against his teams. And I looked back on it and said, well, you know, just one thing that he picked the Detroit Lions. Well, I picked the Green Bay Packers. He liked the Detroit Red Wings. I liked the San Jose Sharks. He liked the Detroit Pistons. I liked the Charlotte Hornets. And then for baseball, he liked the Detroit Tigers. I liked the Chicago White Sox. These are just, this is who I am. This is what I did. This is what that I chose. And um it was 11 years old when we got cable TV for the first time, and I got exposed to ESPN, and I was hooked. I mean, I was watching Sports Center all the time, watching sports all day long. Saturdays and Sundays were mostly filled with watching football. And, um, uh, you know, I thought that I had a pretty good, decent childhood growing up through elementary school. Things were relatively good. Um, but I remember in fifth grade, uh, it all started with one girl, and um, I'll just leave her name out of it. But uh, right before Christmas break, I started fantasizing about her. And I just thought of her as like my girlfriend and I had all these warm and fuzzy feelings. And I remember going home uh, for Christmas break and just kind of thinking about her and how wonderful she was and all that kind of stuff. And I remember getting back from school and, um, and then the fancy kind of wore off and went away. Just kind of like, yeah, okay, you know, nothing there. It just kind of went away. Didn't make too big of a deal of it, but looking back on my life, that's, that's the, the, big, the first real big fantasy about another woman. And um, going through elementary school, things were relatively well. Uh, I enjoyed it. But then I went to junior high, and then there came seventh grade. Seventh grade was the uh, yeah, toughest time for me growing up. Um, I had met a girl um, from my school uh, that summer, in the sixth grade summer, you know, we were fully dating, and uh, we didn't do anything because I didn't have, I, I lived pretty far away from everybody else, and so didn't have the time and effort to get there. So. Um, I, I go to I go to school that first day. I'm going like, hey, where, where's Suzanne? I go, oh, uh, she moved to Texas. I was like, oh, okay. And my coping skills would just move on, you know, just kind of just cut it off. Don't cry about it, whatever. Move on. 
And the rest of seventh grade was built with a lot of shame, uh, a lot of making fun of the clothes I wore, what I looked like, um, how tall I was, and uh, uh, detention, suspensions, just out acting out, just being, um, I, I would just leave the lunchroom and just, just walk the halls and I'd get suspended for that or get detentions. And uh, I was just, was angry at life, you know? And um, the funny thing was like, when I got to eighth grade, things got better, you know? Cause seventh grade, you got picked on a lot too. Um, the, the kids on the bus, eighth grade was like, you're, you're a seventh grader, we're an eighth grader, we get to pick on you. It's like, wait a minute, we were just friends like last year, last summer. I'm like, nope, we have a job and our job is to pick on you. I'm like, oh man, this sucks. Like, this is no fun. Um, and I remember specifically, they, they picked on all of us, you know, all the seventh graders, whoever it was. Eighth grade happens, life kind of starts getting more normal, not as bad. Um, and I remember there was this, uh, you know, some girls in my Spanish class, and I'd flirt with them and stuff like that. And there were some other guys, and I didn't like me. And one day, uh, one of the guys, uh, he was for lunch time, you know, they would give kids some of the rags and they'd clean some of the tables. And one guy came right by me, whacked me on the side of the head with the, with the rag, and I got up and said, Nope, I ain't putting up with that. So I got on top of him, started beating him down, just boom, boom, boom. A uh, bunch of tenant came and pulled me off of him. Um, you know, went to the principal's office, got sent home. Um, my dad at the time was, I believe, in New Orleans for the uh, Final Four and um, had a conversation with him. My dad goes, okay, son, yeah, you did a bad thing, blah, blah, but did you win the fight? I said, <laughs> you better believe it, dad. Of course I did, you know? And um, so, uh, you know, it was, I just thought my life was somewhat normal, but, um, you know, going into high school, uh, just finished up in junior high, you know, I flirted, but, you know, never dated anybody. Um, there was a few girls like that, but never anything really serious. High school came, I wasn't interested in girls anymore, really, as far as, like, dating, anything like that. I just liked school, uh, like sports, um, and, I, you know, I wanted to get my classes done, watch TV, watch movies, stuff like that, and lots of fantasy. You know, a lot of my life was about based off of fantasy, but being a lone wolf, you know, not doing things with a lot of people. My best friend, Alicia, was still dysfunctional. Um, I didn't, I didn't go to a lot of parties or stuff like that. I just kind of like stayed home and watched sports. So, um, and during that time, um, you know, um, pornography masturbation became more of a, of a thing, just something I just kind of did uh, as a, never talked with anybody about it and share with anybody. It was always in isolation all by myself. And um, it got more progressive. Uh, one time, you know, I went and acted out 10 times in one day on a Saturday. I was like, wow, you know, I must have a really high drive for this kind of stuff. But I had no idea what was really going on back at the time. So, um, and one, one big thing that happened in my life was, uh, in the summer of 97. So this is, um, uh, what I call the summer of Stan. Uh, this is a uh, graduate from high school and I would go to bed at four in the morning and wake up at noon. And it was like every day, just rinse, recycle, repeat. And I just got to enjoy my summer. I wasn't working anymore. Um, and I uh, just got to enjoy the summer. And one day uh, I was sitting on the couch. My dad came up to me and he poked me in the chest. He hit me right in the breastbone with his finger. He actually bent his finger a little bit and hurt his finger. Actually, he did that. He said, you're a, you're a lazy son. You need to get off yourself. You need to do something with your life. And I remember looking like in myself, like seething, going like, I am going to do something with my life, man. I'm going to go to college and I'm going to get a job and I'm going to get out of here and get away from you. Like, I ain't going to be like what you are. Um, my dad was, you know, uh, a longshoreman. He was a... Uh, uh, he had been to Vietnam as a Marine Corps vet and um, suffered a lot of PTSD. Um, his, there was more trauma in his life and stuff like that, but he just didn't know how to cope with it. But he, one day he came to me crying saying, son, don't do what I did. You know, go to college, get an education, get a job. Don't, don't work outside outdoors like I did and, and, and burn your body up. And I was like, well, yeah, I ain't going to burn my body up with alcohol. You know, that's for sure. I'm not going to do what you did. Um, little did I know that I was on a, a different drug and uh, going a different course. So, 
Um, but that summer too, um, I was 18, uh, one of my sister's friends uh, flirted with me very briefly. We were outside, like it was a hot summer day. We were playing out and she kind of flirted with me. I was just like, huh. And I remember not thinking anything majorly of that and just, you know, going on the rest of my summer. Plan was to go to Fairbanks. So go to college up there. And when I was going to go to Fairbanks, I said, I'm going to Newtown. I'm going to go date a girl. I'm going to finally start dating. I'm going to do something to be able to start dating. So that's what I did. Um, and the first girl I found, uh, she was from Montana and she had about eight or nine other suitors. Um, so, you know, all these guys are all trying to date her and stuff like that. Um, the guy that ended up getting to date her had a car. The rest of us didn't. And I remember feeling this rejection. I remember seeing them at a party together and I just felt this kind of like this uh, like movie moment, really like, oh, crushing. Oh my gosh. It's like, this is terrible. And um, I was pretty sad. We'd broken up over it. Um, but then, uh, faithfully, this one day, um, I was dreaming and I, I, I woke up and I was like, huh, what about my sister's friend back in Anchorage? And I was like, what about her? And I had the opportunity, I went back for Christmas break. My parents said, okay, you're back here for Christmas break. Your sister's still in school. You need to go pick up your sister. I go, okay. So I take the truck, go pick up my sister. And then, you know, my sister's friend needs to ride home too. So like, okay. So I pretended to be deaf and I was like trying to be dorky and cool in front of them. I like put like this and my sister like, knock it off, you know, don't be so cool. Like, don't, you know, you can talk. I'm like, mm -mm. I'm like, no, nope, I'm sign language. I don't know how to talk. So um, I dropped her off. And then one day I went to my sister's room. It was very out of character for me because I hardly ever talked to my sister. Like I said, it was very isolating. We hardly had any relationship. I remember my sister said, hey, can I have your friend's uh, phone number? She's like, why don't you need my friend's phone number? I was like, oh, I'm going to ask her out to a movie. And sure enough, you know, I got her phone number. I asked her out to a movie. She said yes. We went to a movie and uh, our relationship went pretty fast, pretty quick. You know, we, you know, started, you know, being intimate, stuff like that, you know, uh, pretty early on. And uh, what, what the, uh, it's not conference, conference approved literature, but uh, in the book, The Five Love Languages, um, like God just revealed this to me just a few weeks ago. Um, what happened there, I fell in love and uh, I did the things that it talks about in the book. Um, where you make long distance phone calls, you do irregular travel, um, you do gifts and uh, work projects for each other that are just um, effortless. You're just, you're so infatuated. You just want to do whatever you want to do to, to be with them. And that's what I did. And um, one day uh, I had my own dorm room at that time. My, other, my best friend from uh, since you know, college, uh, he had moved out because we couldn't be roommates anymore. So he had moved to another dorm and I was in my dorm by myself. So, and then she came up for crisp, for spring break and, you know, we went to a movie, came back to my dorm. She said, you want to have sex? I said, yes. And I had a belief, though. I had a belief there was no sex before marriage. But that was my belief. But I just let that shield go down. And then that started a, a relationship that um, got pretty rocky and turmoil in the, in the beginning. Um, uh, I, I broke it off with her about, about six months into relationship, seven months into relationship. And um, she tried to commit suicide. And um, I went back to her. And when I went back to her, I pretty much like picked her over my parents and I had to start lying. I had to start deceiving. I'd tell my friend with my parents like, oh yeah, I'm gonna go you know, to the movies with my friend, George. I remember a specific person like, I'm my friend with my movie, George. And I knew I was gonna go see uh, um, you know, my, my girlfriend at the time, her name's Heather. And um, so it uh, effectively when I left to go back to college for my sophomore year, I pretty much just put up the giant wall between my parents and my sister and chose her over that. So. Um, the next several years, just rocky, um, you know, relationship uh, problems, but, you know, we stuck it up together. Uh, she eventually got pregnant 
And then I had to get a job. So it was my junior year of college and I had to get a job at the same time when she was pregnant. And uh, we had a shotgun wedding. We got married in, my, in her parents' basement. Um, I thought it was love. I thought we were going to be together and committed. We've been doing things out of order, but that's how I did things. I did things out of order. Um, so we eventually, um, I worked for like next two years uh, as a workaholic, um, going to school full time and working at a hotel at nights full time. And she raised a child. Um, eventually, I graduated from college, uh, got out of Fairbanks the first instant I could. We got a U-Haul and moved back to Anchorage. And um, my workaholism got even worse uh, as I went to grad school and then uh, we needed money, things were tight, and, and then I got a job with the federal government. So I got a job full-time with the federal government, going to grad school full-time, and she, she's raising a child. It was kind of the this, this same kind of cycle that just kind of kept repeating and repeating. Um, all throughout it, I developed uh, an oral sex fixation with her that was very damaging, but I was very uh, pushy about it. I, I, was, I didn't have emotions. I didn't know how to feel. I didn't know how to ask kindly. I didn't know about how you know to love. I was just, I was more like a robot. I was just like, this is what I do. This is how I act. And this is what I get. I was, I was a taker. Just take, 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 take. And I didn't know because she was so giving. But I didn't know that what I was doing was, was harming her. Um, eventually, uh, we had you know, three kids and we were fixated on getting a house. And I wanted to get my first house. And it was, it was my big goal. I spent almost three years looking at houses, um, learning about the real estate market, Going around, if, if we were having problems in the house with the kids, pack them up in the car, drive around the neighborhoods, start looking at houses. That's, that was the way we kind of coped. I eventually bought my first house um, and was really enthused about it. And uh, I remember a month after I bought my house, I was up in my master bedroom looking out our window. We had a great view out, out there. I just remember just feeling this emptiness. I was like, what is going on? I just got what I wanted. You know, I thought I got my, my, I got my dream. I got my dream home. I got this family. I had this great job. But I'm feeling empty. I had no idea what was going on. Um, that was in 2010. In 2011, um, uh, we got scared off. Um, there was a, several things that happened around the world, Arab Spring, uh, the Fukushima incident in Japan, uh, radiation up in Alaska. We were worried that radiation was gonna fall down from that, that uh, nuclear you know, incident that happened up there. So um, with those incidents, me and, and my wife at the time, we said, you know what, we're gonna, we need to, we need to do something, we need to change something. And so um, we said, yeah, we need to start going to church. And so I asked her, I told her, hey, you talk to your two friends that I know that go to church. This one goes to this church, that one goes to that church. And then we'll have dinner with them and we'll talk and discuss it. And so I kind of put my wife at the time to be in charge of finding our church. Um, so we had the two friends and one friend that was a, a former high school friend of ours that had become a born again believer. And we said, okay, yeah, we'll go to your church. So May 21st, 2011, we went to church. Um, I went to church for the first time, really. And um, um, so it was, uh, it was an eye-opening experience. Um, you know, I, I came to, I, you know, my, my faith was in saving faith two months into it. And uh, my wife at the time, about a month into it. And um, the issue was I had no idea that my, um, my disease was there, no idea. I got rid of my, all my pornography. Everything I had was free electronic stuff, just you know, get files and stuff like that from the internet. I got rid of all that. Um, but um, didn't know this, this disease was still a rapacious creditor that was kept coming to the door. And eventually one day, I, it was in 2014, um, I asked my wife, I was begging her for sex. I was like, please, please, please. And then she's like, no, no, no. And then she finally gave in and we conceived our fourth child. She had kind of moved on and like that she had this new life. We both lost a lot of weight. We both were changing our lives, eating different diets and stuff like that. You know, our faith tradition, our different new friends. 
but then she got pregnant again. So then she got pregnant again. Um, at the same time, she had bought a dog. So I remember staying there going like, she announced to the whole family, we're buying a dog. I'm like, we are not buying a dog. No, we don't need a dog. Like that, that's, that's ridiculous. Like what kind of, I was thinking in my mind, like, what kind of void are you trying to fill? I know you're trying to fill a void, but I had no idea. I, I just was completely clueless. My, my disease just had me, complete, the scales were completely blinding me. So it was, um, you know, one of those things where she buys the dog, she gets pregnant, she plans to take care of the dog, she finds out she's pregnant, can't take, can't take care of the dog. And so then I jump in as the rescuer saying, oh, I'm going to take care of this dog. I'm going to walk this dog all the time. There's a German shorter pointer, very high energy and up in Alaska. And I'm going like, you bought a short haired dog in the winter? Like, what are you doing? This is crazy. Like, you, you can't, how's the dog going to survive? Well, we were feeding a diet, this dehydrated diet. It was, it was, it was going to the bathroom eight or nine times a day. I was just like, this is ridiculous. I'm so sick of this dog. You have to give it like eight or nine or 10 walks a day. Like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. And my kids didn't want to take care of it. And it was icy outside, you know, we had a, a mild winter that year. And so I, I, I went through, um, thank you. Um, going through that, it was, it was, uh, yeah, I eventually just to kind of speed things up to where it happened. Um, yeah, so we went through this this rough patch of our life of just um, taking care of the dog, taking care of the kids, taking care of work, and um, uh, eventually uh, we went to Costa Rica. And while we were down there, my, my wife at the time she received a voicemail from a friend. And this voicemail was from our, from our trusted friend who had taken us to church for the very first time. And this voicemail um, was this friend talking bad about my, my wife at the time. And so my wife played the voicemail to me and said, that sounds like she butt dialed you and you just got this voicemail, but like, oh my gosh. And what it did is it woke her up to her codependency issues. And I was like, okay. And she bought a bunch of books, but she never talked to me about it. I was like, okay, you got codependency issues. Um, a few months later, she cut me off from my acting out behavior with her. And she said, no more sin. I'm not going to give you what you want anymore sexually. I said, okay, you're not going to do that. Well, I'm going to punish you. And what I did for like 16 months, no physical contact. We had no physical contact of any type. We just kind of just drew battle lines. I eventually moved to sleep on the couch. And um, it uh, it culminated in where I you know, was going to use money. I, I used money as a transactional way of, of buying love. And uh, I came across a bunch of money from my, my company, of big bonuses. And I was like, okay, I got all this money. What am I going to do with it? I can either spend it on good things, pay off my debts and other stuff like that. Or I can buy my love. And I did. I chose to buy my love. So I said, okay. You want this giant home remodel? Here you go. Here's this big amount of money. And in my mind, I was like, okay, it's six months time. Um, then we're going to get back together. You know, I'm going to bought my love. I've transacted. Here we go. Um, little did I know when we started the home remodel, um, uh, one of the contractors came over. My wife, you know, being neglected from her needs, had sparks fly with this guy. And, you know, she went, and went off with him for, for two days. He broke it off with her. She felt broken. She talked to a friend, said, the friend said, I, I suggest you guys go to marriage counseling. So, one day she called me from work, said, can you come over? I said, sure. I came over to the house and she's like, yeah, we, we need to talk. I was like, yeah, it's been 16 months in my mind. I'm like, yeah, we need to talk. Like, you've been neglecting me. And um, so she said, we need to go to marriage counseling. I said, yeah, I think we do need to go to marriage counseling. So I went to marriage counseling and um, that first time there, I heard this still small voice say, stand, open up, just start talking to this guy. And so I talked to the guy the entire time. I started crying. I started getting emotional. My, my wife at the time was doing nothing. She was just buttoned up and I was like, look at her. She's just sitting there. But I just started opening up my, 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 my life. And then the next day he said, come back again tomorrow. I said, yeah, we need to work on this. So the next day we come there and I remember very vividly, 
the, the, the counselor said something, Heather said something, and then I tried to repeat it I'm in a quiet room with just two adults. And they said, Stan, we didn't say that. And I, I looked, I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, where am I? I, I I'm in some sort of fake world now. I, I, I'm like, I, I'm a grown adult and I can't interpret what two grown adults are saying. There's something wrong with me. So he asked me about my sex life and I mentioned what happened. And I said, you know, I do pornography masturbation. What's the big deal about it? He said, Stan, you can't even do that. I'm like, what? Like, we talk, I can't do that. Like, how am I going to get through the next three to six months for a marriage counseling? <laughs> and um, so uh, he said, tomorrow, he, he said, uh, yeah, later this week, we're going to meet just you and me alone, Stan. He's like, oh, man, okay, yeah, I'm the bad guy. Yeah, me and me have to be alone. Yeah, I'm the bad guy. Um, that next meeting, he mentioned essay. And so I said, whatever, man, essay, whatever you can talk about, do whatever to save my marriage. And that's what I did. So I, I went to essay uh, in July 11th of 2018 to save my marriage. Um, that very first day I saw the white book, they opened it up at a newcomer's meeting, read up the, the sobriety definition, talked about what it was. And I said, I've been doing that with myself. I'm like, whoa, no, 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 no more of that. No, no. Um, about a month into the program, I recognized like, I'm not there to, to save my marriage. I'm there to save my life. I'm on a course for destruction. And, um, it was pretty fortuitous that God did that. Um, I jumped in pretty heavily one day in a meeting. I said, there's not enough resources here. There's not enough meetings up here. You know, and we had quite a few meetings face to face in Alaska. But I said, there's not enough. And then a man, a gentleman in our room just threw me a phone list. And I said, oh my gosh, a phone list. Like, holy cow, there's tons of meetings here. So I jumped into the phone meeting list. I did up to four meetings of phone meetings a day. I remember talking to some people that were here and, um, I was just so out of my mind. I, I went into anxiety. I couldn't go home. I just couldn't function. It was it was really tumultuous. I had a hard time just learning about what was going on in my life. So it was it was really good because I just started imbibing a lot of uh, the recovery work. So acknowledge time, and um, I just started imbibing as much recovery work as I could, and uh, just to speed things up. Um, eventually, I got back with my wife. We had a six six week separation period. We got back together. Um, unfortunately, I was going through step two. I stopped working my program. And for the next six months, things got rocky again. And then you know, my wife kind of cut me off from being intimate again. And I knew right then, I was like, okay, I'm, I've re-entered a new level of hell I don't want to go through again. I procrastinated and I said, okay, December 7th, 2019, I said, I went back to my, my an essay meeting. I said, it's a Saturday meeting. Hope there's gonna be a sponsor there. Gentlemen raised his two guys would raise their hand that day. I picked one, said, Will you be my sponsor? He said yes. I said, Man, I'm out, I'm in for it day by day. Just whatever you do, because I know what I'm doing is not working. I need to just continue to work the program and get out of this hell that I'm in. And I that's what I did. I worked worked the program with him. It was very difficult. Uh, I remember step four took me months and months and months. Um, and I didn't know how much of that poison I had really been stockpiling against about everybody on the planet practically. Um, my resentments were just huge. It was like, like governments, institutions, people, all kinds of stuff. Um, and I had was just burning with resentment. And when I got through with step four, it was that freedom, a freedom that um, I can't really describe. And that was back in uh, January of 2020. And um, ever since then, I've just been um, you know, thankful to God that I can you know, have this opportunity to go to meetings and be a part of the fellowship and uh, get the changes in my life. And uh, even though that, that relationship with my, with my wife ended um, last year, um, and I ended it, 
Um, God just continues to reveal, reveal to me that uh, recovery is where it's at. Um, recovery for me is um, just the constant daily work, the constant prayer, um, the constant meetings and phone calls and the relationships. So now I have friends, I have people I know um, that have helped me to dramatically change my life. Because before I was an arrogant, egotistical SOB. I mean, I was very high and mighty about things. And um, it was about transaction. It was about taking. And now I can learn how to give and um, have feelings and emotions. Uh, I get to cry. I get to go through, um, you know, having feelings of fear, but knowing to just have faith in God. And uh, yeah, make decisions to come to places like Florida to be able to get additional healing and recovery. So, and uh, I know that with with God, um, all things are possible. So, um, yeah, and I'm much happier, much more serene and peaceful today than I ever have been in my life. And um, all mo- majority of all my relationships have been restored um, to a level that even better, and even new relationships have, have come about in my life that I I'm very thankful for. So. Um, I'm very thankful for you know the big book, um, the builders that, that built this. Um, my my sponsors, you know, they they build off the build book, the big book, and um, it, as I as I read it now every time, you know, for for stuff, and I'm, I'm redoing step one right now, my essay program, um, and I've been told to start reading the big book from the beginning, and like I see things differently, and it's just it's it's great, it's wonderful, and I'm very thankful for it. So, thanks for having me here, everyone. Okay. Wow. Way to start the uh, Saturday morning off. Looks like we have more more people filtered in. It's awesome. <clears throat> so the next speaker, <clears throat> I uh, I actually got to uh, uh, meet this person on her very first meeting, and uh, her growth and recovery is amazing. She got in, she got a sponsor, and, and she really started working the program. And I am so excited that she drove. She came here from the state of Missouri, of my hometown, and she's here to speak. Welcome to Brandy. Let's give her a big round of applause. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.